Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have sent the Holy Spirit to guide us and to lead us into all truth. We pray now, Lord, that as we open Your Word that You have given to us, we ask that You would reveal Yourself to us, that we might not just know about You, but that we would actually know You, and that we would draw closer to You, that we'd be filled more and more with You, and that Your Spirit might overflow uh, from us into uh, the world around us. We ask this for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the, uh, the title of this class is uh, Total Eclipse of the Heart, uh, but in case you were uh, hopeful, uh, this is not the gospel according to 80s rock songs. Um, Bonnie Tyler did have, uh, incidentally, I, I watched the video for, for that song, and it is so weird. Uh, don't, um, but uh, this is this is a four four part exposition of of uh, the first epistle of John. And uh, if um, I was going through it, and really sort of week three, I wanted to call week three. I want to know what love is, and uh, and so that's so I'm sorry. Well, I'm, I'll just I'll just pick each one. A total eclipse of the heart. Uh, Bonnie Tyler says in that uh, song that um, that. She, there used to be light in her life, but now it's just a walk in the dark. Something, something. Nothing I can say. Total eclipse of the heart. Uh, it is uh, that is the reverse, as I hope we'll see uh, for um, for for Christians, as that it's not the uh, darkness that takes over the light, but the light uh, that takes over the darkness. So this is a, a four-week exposition of uh, the first letter uh, of John. Uh, just to, just before we get into the text, which you should have uh, the text in front of you. Uh, we're, all we're going to do today is the first uh, first five uh, verses, and it will be obviously bigger chunks in the next couple of weeks. Um, but just a few introductory remarks before we get into the text. Uh, it is uh, very probable, and in fact, it is uh, certainly my opinion um, that this the author of First John is the Apostle John, the same the same uh, author of the Gospel of John and uh, the Revelation of John and Second John and Third John. Uh, so that's, um, uh, it's, it is disputed, of course, you can imagine, uh, it is disputed, but um, there are, uh, between the Gospel of John and the, um, and the first letter of John, there are just undeniable parallels of, of thought and expression of the way he uses his wording and things like that. Uh, and I, I think even in the, uh, the first five verses, you'll be able to spot it, uh, if you're familiar at all with the prologue of John, um, which we'll talk about. Uh, you will see that there are incredible parallels uh, in thought and expression. He's writing this uh, very late in his life. So I'm, I'm working under the assumption that it is the Apostle John. And he's writing this uh, very late in his life. He was one of the few, maybe the only, apostle who was not martyred. And, um, and what, it, uh, what it seems is that he uh, was uh, in Jerusalem until the destruction of Jerusalem by the future emperor Titus. Uh, in 70 A.D., and with m- many, many other Christians and, and even um, Jews as well, he fled from that place, and he landed in uh, Ephesus. Ephesus, of course, had a, a Pauline church. Uh, it was well-established, though Ephesus itself was a, a raucous city. It was a, a very important city uh, in, in the um, uh, local economy, sort of the geographic uh, economy there, uh, a brazen idolatry, uh, 
pagan worship. Uh, if, you, if, if you read in Acts, they talk about there's a riot when Paul goes to Ephesus because they feel that he's threatening uh, their worship of Artemis, uh, Artemis or Diana in, in Roman mythology. And uh, it is, um, uh, they're very, very committed. There's lots and lots of wealth surrounding uh, pagan uh, idolatry there in Ephesus. And, and what comes with that, uh, or what came with that, was, was gross immoral uh, behavior. And so there's actually, uh, you can see John putting a lot of emphasis on how Christians uh, act in the world. First uh, uh, John is a, is a circular letter. Uh, it wasn't intended, uh, what I mean by that is it's not intended for one audience, but it was uh, written uh, to be circulated among different uh, local church communities. Maybe, maybe the seven churches in Revelation that he talks about, if, you, if you're familiar with those, uh, the first couple of chapters of Revelation. Um, it, it does, this letter doesn't contain the typical, uh, typical style of a letter. Uh, there's no you know, John, the apostle, get appointed by Jesus Christ to the church and such and such, like you see in so many of really all of uh, Paul's letters. And the thinking is not linear like Paul. John was an artist. You know, he was, he was uh, poetic. And, and, um, and so he was, it's just a different sort of letter, different sort of letter. Um, he is writing uh, into, uh, as, he, as he's writing into the latter part of the first century, he's writing into a, a church and a Christian subculture that is increasingly being influenced by Gnosticism. You may... You may have heard that term. You may be quite familiar with it. Gnosticism uh, from the Greek word gnosis, or, uh, which means knowledge. And it, is, it was a, a heresy, although not, it, was, it, was a, it was sort of a brand of heresy. There were lot, lots and lots. It wasn't dogmatic. It was sort of by its very nature uh, free-flowing and fluid. Uh, but here, here are the two major ideas of Gnosticism. The two major ideas of Gnosticism. Number one, the superiority of speculative knowledge over faith and behavior. The superiority of speculative knowledge over faith and behavior. And number two, the idea that the material world is evil and that the spiritual world is good and that the two don't intersect. So spiritual world, good. Material world, evil, no intersection. Number one, uh, that, uh, that the superiority of speculative knowledge over faith and behavior, what that does is it creates um, a, a spiritual elite. Uh, it's not based on anything. It's not based on Scripture. Maybe uh, taking strands, little, uh, taking some verses out of context, strands of that, but it's not based on anything other than uh, what seems right about the world and a way things might have happened uh, to those in the know. And so, um, so you know, today this, this happens all the time. It happens all the time. It's not, uh, it, it, whether it's liberal or, or conservative, it's, um, it's incredibly easy to take strains of truth, take verses out of context, and, and to, philosophize, to philosophize about them, to um, fit that into what we already think about things, uh, until really the end has no, no recognizable parallel to uh, orthodox classic Christianity. Uh, and yet it calls itself truth. And we see that. Uh, a lot. One of the one of the primary verses that we see that it comes right out of First John. God is love. Well, we bring everything we already thought about love and, and all our, to, uh, to that uh, verse. But anyway, we'll talk about that. But you can see that Gnosticism 
uh, still is alive and well uh, today in many ways. Uh, uh, in fact, it is the heart of human rebellion uh, that we make man making God in his own image. So, uh, so that's the first one. The second one, uh, that the second one, that the idea that uh, the material world is evil, the uh, spiritual world is good, um, that creates an abhorrence to the idea of incarnation. Uh, the idea that God could come and become a man, that he could die a, a bloody death uh, for people. I mean, the, the idea that was this idea that the material world is inherently evil and that, uh, that only the spiritual world is good, it, you can't have incarnation in that context. And we see, we do see that today. The incarnation is uh, under attack uh, in, in many ways. But my experience, this happens more in conservative Service, not the attack on the incarnation, uh, but the idea that, um, man, this world is a dump and we're just waiting to get to heaven. We're, you know, just, Jesus, take me out of this place. Um, there is, there is a, uh, uh, in liberal circles, I think, an over-blessing of the material world, uh, and yet there's still, in both cases, a, a thirst for a spiritual experience, which it can be a good thing, but uh, should not be overemphasized. Anyway, so that's those two things, ways that, that the strands of Gnosticism are alive and well today. And as we go through the letter, you can, you can just take a look and, and see how those things apply uh, both then and now. It's, um, now, the letter is being written because there is a group of folks that has broken away from the church. And, uh, and they are, but they're still in the area and they're, they're espousing this sort of compromised, Gnosti- Gnostified uh, Christianity to the ones who have remained. And so that is, that is John's burden. And so we come to the text. Uh, we're just, like I said, we're just going to do the introduction and then the main message. The first four verses of the introduction and then the main message of First uh, John. John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Okay. Notice, this is a letter. Notice there is, as we've said before, no standard introduction, no announcement about his name, no, uh, no specific audience. John is so excited about this message uh, that he just dives right in. He is so uh, burdened with, uh, with wanting to tell, talk to these people about the true gospel that he dives right in. They know his writing. They've read the gospel. They've heard uh, from the Revelation. They know it's him. He's 95 years old, for crying out loud. They, are, uh, they have heard. They've been under his teaching for a long time. They know it's him, and he is so excited about it. Uh, I want to say that sometimes I can forget to be excited about it. I don't know if you, I don't know if you uh, ever experienced that. My guess is that you do, or it's not occurred to you. 
Uh, I get concerned uh, when I am um, going through Scripture. Um, I forget that this gospel altered my eternal destination. And, uh, and, and I just kind of go through life, and it's part of my life, and, and you experience that uh, as well. And so as we come to the text, we, wanna, uh, we, just, we don't want to only learn. We do want to learn, but we, but we, want, we don't want to just learn about Him. We want to, to, to know Him. We don't want to just know about the text. Uh, we, want, uh, we don't want to simply gain more knowledge. Remember, St. Paul wrote uh, to the Corinthians that knowledge puffs up. Love uh, builds up. We want to come to the text, to draw in every text that we come to, to draw near uh, to the Lord Jesus. We want our learning to point us uh, to Him and into Him. We don't want to just know about Him. We want to know Him. And clearly, John uh, knows Him. John knows Him. You think you read this, this even just the first couple of verses, there is a resounding echo of John 1.1 1, 1 and Genesis one uh, one John one one in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God Genesis one one in the beginning God created uh, it was it's all about in the beginning in fact this phrase in the beginning or from the beginning occurs seven times in John's letter this is a very important uh, important thing to him we're not he says we're not presenting something new okay we're not presenting something uh, that is novel. It is that which was from the beginning. We didn't make this up, uh, but we didn't create it. It created us. It created us. And yet, uh, at the same time, we've seen it. And we've, we've heard it. We've touched it for ourselves, this ancient thing that was from the beginning. Remember, uh, Peter wrote in his second letter, uh, we did not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. They were eyewitnesses. That was so important uh, to the authority of their message. They had been uh, with Jesus. In fact, they'd been Peter and John, uh, the apostles writing these letters, they had been with they were both there at the Transfiguration. They were both there at the Last Supper. Uh, they were there at the crucifixion. Uh, they were both in the upper room when Jesus appeared to the disciples behind the locked doors. They both saw Him on the shore. Remember when uh, Peter and John, they jump in the water and they swim up and uh, Jesus is cooking fish on the shoreline and nobody dared ask him to uh, ask who He was because they knew it was the Lord. John uh, was there. We've seen Him. We've touched Him. We've heard from Him. And, and it... Um, and it this witness was incredibly important to establishing the authority of his message over and against those who were espousing a different message. But you can also imagine that it's, this, this idea, we've, that which was from the beginning, we've seen it, we've heard from it, we've touched it with our hands, that it spoke directly into the prevailing heresy of the day that said that there was no intersection between the physical and the spiritual. Uh, now, uh, that, that heresy, I mean, that's the opposite of, of the gospel. God became a man. 
And John knows this. Um, we talked to him. We heard him teach. We held hands with him in prayer around the campfire. Uh, the incarnation, um, it, it is under attack uh, today. I mean, we, we hear you know, that Jesus was just a great man. He was a great teacher. He was the most godly man that there has ever been. But he was just a man. No, says John, that which was from the beginning. God became a man. That's very different than saying that he was a godly man. God became a man. He was from the beginning. The Word was with God and the Word was God and all things were made uh, through Him. He appeared to us as a living, breathing man in order to redeem all of humanity. He could not have just uh, been a spirit and redeemed humanity. He had to come and take over humanity and die for humanity in order to redeem uh, humanity. And he says that uh, all of these things, uh, that which we was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we have seen with our eyes and looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning uh, the word of life, the logos, uh, the word of life, the word for life is zoe, um, not bios in, in terms of like, you know, just um, sort of spiritual uh, life, biology, but, uh, but life, that, that what sort of living, breathing, um, conscious life. Jesus is the logos of life. He's the word of the Father. You think of a word, an expression of, uh, that bears meaning. He is the expression of In both the letter and in um, and in his gospel, he's saying that Jesus is the very expression of God. That's how we know God's nature and character, and all things hold together in Him. He is what makes life uh, tick. This is the thing that we're talking about. This is the thing that's from the beginning that we have actually been in fellowship with. That we have actually. Uh, actually continue in fellowship with. We've seen Him. uh, We have touched Him. We've spoken to Him. This is the Word of life. God's expression of Himself that holds all things together. Verse 2. This this life, uh, the life was made manifest. The life was made manifest. We've seen it, and we testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father was made manifest to us. The life, the expression of the Father's character that authored all of creation, uh, He was made manifest. He was revealed. He was shown clearly. He was made obvious. And we saw it. And now... or someone uh, one they would go around announcing in these great parades that the king was victorious 
And that word, that announcement was the euangelion. That was the good news of the king's victory. The gospel is a proclamation. It's an announcement. It's not a theory. It's not a proposition. It's not an that you can take or leave. And the gospel is a proclamation. St. Paul says, uh, we are ambassadors for Christ. Think about it. An ambassador doesn't, uh, doesn't negotiate. in his letter saying oh, we are um, we are ambassadors we are proclaiming the gospel it was not our idea we didn't make it up um, the eyewitness is heralding the message that he has been given now what is he proclaiming the eternal life which was with the father from the beginning and is made manifest to us God became a man he was with the father and he has been shown himself to us in the person of Jesus. Now, verse 3, why is he proclaiming this message of eternal life to them? Why? Why this message of eternal life? The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify uh, to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, oh, that's verse 2, which we have seen and heard and proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So that you may have fellowship with us. Now, this doesn't mean so that we can uh, hang out and have fellowship hour uh, at church. Uh, Together, we're telling you this so that we can all uh, hang out together. Uh, He says that indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That is, so that we're telling uh, this to you so that you can have fellowship with God the Father and with Jesus Christ along with us. Um, The community of believers together uh, worshiping Christ in fellowship with God whenever they gather uh, together. That's the church. It's not a club. It's not a gathering um, for social purposes, but it's those who are in fellowship with God. That's what we are. That's what we are as we gather here, as we gather in the nave for worship. We are gathered together as a worshiping community. Right? And that's what we that's what we do. We don't come to get out get something out of it. Oh, surely we will. We come to to give. We come to worship. We're gathered together in the fellowship of uh, believers. And John is saying, to the, remember, he's writing into a context where people have left the fellowship. They've left the community uh, because they've been led astray by wrong teaching. And so he's saying that, that it, it is, we're writing this to you, we're reminding you of the gospel truths so that, so that you can stay in the fellowship uh, of believers, but not just in the fellowship, of believers' fellowship with God, with Christ. Now, verse 4, um, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. 
the joy, the joy of the Christian life uh, is to be shared. It's, it's, not, it's not just to be uh, consumed. It's to be, it's to be given out. It's bursting out of John. He's an old, old man. And the joy of Christ is just spilling forth uh, out of him. And I have to say that just, just for me, this, this verse, uh, at first glance, is the first several times I read through it, this, this was sort of the throwaway verse. We're writing to you so our joy may be uh, complete. I really wanted to get to verse 5. But as I, as I went back through it and over and over, and I had to have something to say about verse 4. <laughs> I really have been, been quite challenged in wondering about my own life and how much I'm sharing the joy of my faith. I mean, I can share it with you. That's, that's my job. That's what you pay me for. Am I sharing it with my next door neighbor who, um, you know, they smoke and they're not, they don't live together. I want my kid, you know, I don't, it just kind of annoys me. Uh, am I sharing it with the um, checkout girl, bless her heart, uh, at the Piggly Wiggly? Um, the joy that I have in Christ overflow? And does the desire uh, of Jesus like I know him? Do I know Jesus in such a way that I want other and I, I can forget. Am I a consumer? Do I come to the Advent and I'm a consumer of good theology? Or does that theology change me such that I'm an ambassador for Christ? Each of us needs to ask that question. Do I demand good theology and then go on about my business the rest of the week? Or does that theology actually mean something and change my heart, change my life? Not just get me into the Word more and more, which I hope it does, but so that we can participate with the glory of God Or does that scare the heck out of me? Or I really just rather not think about it because my life is busy and my kids are crazy and um, and I've got a job to do. Am I a consumer? Does the joy and, it, and it, this, I'm kind of making this sad. This is like a, such a happy verse. We are writing these things so that our joy may complete. Not, I mean, he, John's a consummate pastor. And nothing pleases him. Nothing gives him more joy than to see um, than to see these these little children. He calls them in his letter. Little his his children in the faith, wrapped up in the joy of Christ. You know how if you're married, like your your marriage, you know your marriage is at its best when what really excites you about your marriage is is your spouse's excitement. Really fires you up is their joy.
light and darkness. Here's the total eclipse, right? It's the uh, light is, is, has taken over uh, the darkness. It, light and dark, good, uh, it equals good and evil. You know, light equals good, uh, darkness equals evil. It's intuitive. It's easy to understand. I was watching, I happened to be flipping, and I saw the, um, the Lord of the Rings, you know, the two towers, uh, one, it was the middle one uh, of that. And, uh, you know, the good, the good guy, you know, and they're cute, and they're from the Shire, and it's green, and it's happy, and the bad guys are Uruquai and orcs, and, it's, and they're from Mordor, and it's dark. And that's because, I mean, it's just, that's just, it's just intuitive. Light uh, is good, uh, darkness is bad. Horror movies. Right? It never happens out in the middle of the day. It's always in, it's, uh, it's nighttime. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's proverbial. Uh, there was a, a um, and, and because the darkness is unknown, it's scary, it's where, you know, evil lurks in the shadows. Um, I, uh, Amy and I were up in the mountains. Uh, it was about 10, it was before we had kids, about, I guess about 10 years ago. And uh, my family has a little house up there, and we were, it was uh, nighttime. We decided to take a little walk, and um, and and it was like back of the cave, dark uh, outside. And the trees, you know, were, were dark, dark, and the sky was just a little less dark. But uh, but it was still a pretty dark night. But but basically, we had to kind of look up and follow uh, the uh, the path of the sky, which was dark, against the darker uh, trees. That's how we knew how we were going to stay on the road. And, you know, we were out there, and we were holding hands, and uh, we were, uh, it was kind of romantic, and we were, um, uh, I don't know, we, I'm sure she was telling me how much she loved me, and I, um, <laughs> and I don't know why I, why I did this or what, what came over me, but I just said, uh, as if I were talking to someone else, said, hey, how you doing? <laughs> and Amy, I mean, I can still hear it. I mean, she screamed so loud. <laughs> It was, you know, for a moment I was victorious, and then it wasn't as romantic after that. It was, um, uh, the dark is, is scary. Uh, it, it, the, uh, that's why the, uh, <laughs> that's why the psalmist uh, said, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. I mean, they didn't have, you know, they didn't have, uh, you know, they couldn't turn on light as flick Flick of the switch. They had to carry a torch with them, you know, fire or whatever. Uh, it was they, or they fumbled around in the dark. I mean, that was it. Was it was they? They got it. I mean, every time you have ever gotten in trouble for something, it happened at, at night, right? I mean, it, nothing good happens after eight thirty. Go to bed. I mean, that's um, it's uh, the light exposes things that dwell secretly in the darkness. You flick on the switch in your garage, and the cockroaches. Uh, I mean, that's what I've heard from other people, and they, the cockroaches uh, scatter. And we've got cockroaches in, in, our, in our lives. And God has come into the world to expose those things, to die for those things, and to redeem us. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. I, don't, I mean, I think we can miss the magnitude of that state. We've heard it so many times, we sing it. Uh, at Curcio and things like that, and and um, and we because we are we still have darkness in us. 
until we get to heaven, the, the eclipse won't be a total eclipse, right? Uh, we, we miss the purity of God. And this, is, this, this is a statement that is fundamentally about the holiness of God. And the rest of the letter, the whole rest of the letter, is an exposition of this statement. God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. What does that mean to us as Christians? As ones who have followed the light, the Word of God, who is the light um, of, of life, Jesus Christ, what does it mean that in Him there is no darkness at all? And if we are in Him, what does that mean about us? And why, why make this the message of His letter? Why? Why not rather say, you guys are a bunch of sinners and you need a Savior? That's, that's a true statement. Why not have anything about the, the churches that he's writing to? All, his only statement, this is the message, that, is that God is holy. Why not God is light and you are in darkness? I, I, I think it's because a statement like this, the statement itself exposes our darkness. In Him, there is no darkness at all. Not in you, not in me, but in Him. And we, we can roll past this and, and, and not have much impact, but if we sit on it, if we let it shine on us, it takes the eyes of our hearts a little time to adjust. It takes the eyes of our heart a little time to adjust. But in Him, uh, there's no darkness at all. It's hard for us to even imagine what life would be like without uh, darkness. It's like, I mean, every, every imagination you've ever had about heaven pales in comparison. Because you, you can't imagine what life is like without sin. It's not impacted by sin. It's not with a life that truly has no tears. And I'm the same way. And in that vein, Though God has revealed Himself to us, He's shown us His character in Christ, uh, He is the Word of God to us, it is, I think, impossible for us to fully grasp that because in Him there is no darkness at all. And that itself shines on our darkness. Uh, the message of 1 John, John, as an exposition of this statement, is a proclamation of of God's holiness. Because the gospel itself, that we are sinners in need of a Savior, we have a sufficient Savior in Christ, that the gospel itself flows from the holiness of God. The gospel flows from the holiness of God. And we're going to see our relationship to that, um, to that message over the next uh, three weeks. That is the end of my notes. Um, but I'd love, I've got a couple of minutes just if you have questions or this may sound like heresy, but... Stop right there. <laughs> when we were on Patmos, we went to John's Cave, mm -hmm. which was the most de desolate, dark place you've ever seen. Well, it just seems like he didn't have anything else to do but be filled with the Holy yeah. Spirit. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Patmos is where John was exiled for a little while. 
Anybody else? Questions or comments? Thoughts? Yeah, Dr. Little. This, to me, uh, this letter resonates a lot, believe it or not, with Leviticus in that it emphasizes God's holiness and the fellowship God's people have with holiness. But it's a New Testament Leviticus and therefore doesn't at first look at all like Leviticus. Doesn't at first look at all like Leviticus. Yeah. Well, it does. It, I mean, we read through it. It really does say, talk about how we live our lives. We get a little squirrely about around here. Um, we have to drink it, uh, drench it in the gospel uh, for sure. But John, John knows the gospel. He's, he's proclaiming. So, uh, so how we, are, we relate to the holiness of God is, is what he talks about. And that actually distinguishes his followers from the heresies of the day. All right. Let us go forth into the world rejoicing in the power of the Spirit. Thanks be to God.